Welcome to Clit Talk. The Pleasure Positive Podcast. We're like the sex ed you wish you got. And then some. Pussy, pussy. It's gonna be a good one today. Yes. I'm talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Come on, girls and boys and everyone on the gender rainbow. Bring your pussies to the show. Hello, Clitorati. We are so excited. We have an extra special episode for you today. We have recorded almost 100 episodes, and since the beginning of the show, we have always wanted to do an episode specializing in transgender and gender gender identity. So today, we have a very special guest with us, um, Carrie McDonald, who is a clinical social worker in a private practice. She has specialized in working with children and families, adolescents, and specializing in her region for working with children under the age of 11, which is something I'm really interested in hearing about for over 30 years. Years. She specializes in working with EMDR, transgender, and gender queer clients, women, clients with trauma, and individuals. She is a licensed clinical social worker in both Minnesota and California and received her master's in social work at the University of Minnesota, where she was a child welfare scholar. So she her credentials as an EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapist for trauma, which I'm super interested in hearing about. She has worked with the Walshburn Center for Children and an outpatient therapist and as a day treatment therapist in California. And she sees clients of literal all ages. Um, We were connected to her with somebody in my life, and we're just so excited to have her here to answer all of our questions. What I love so much about Carrie when I was connecting her is she told me there were no dumb questions. So, yeah. Because <laughs> we're going to have a lot of dumb questions for you today. <laughs> Great. I'm ready. I'm ready for all the dumb questions. Yeah. Um, and so just thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and really, you know, educating us and our listeners. And really, I what I'm actually curious about is how did you get into this exact line of work? Can you tell us a little bit about your personal background story and how you ended up in this line of work? Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And um, I, so my brother is transgender and he transitioned in his mid twenties. And so I got interested in this as family. Um, And then I had a gender non-conforming kid who also is part of why I was curious about learning how to support your kid, whoever they are. And so I kind of saw a gap for parents that had young kids that were just exploring gender and had worked with kids previously. And so started specializing in how to help kids and families when they're going through that. So um, family and then my friends and community and um all my, most of my clients are transgender now. So that's kind of how it's progressed. So were you, were you a clinical therapist first and then got into this or did you get into this whole line of work because of your, your brother? I had already got my master's in social work when he transitioned. And then, um, during the time that I was getting my clinical license in California and in Minnesota, he fully transitioned. And so I think they were dovetailed. Um, but yes, I was working as a therapist first and then started to specialize in 
transgender kids at that time. So when you say the word transitioned, I was corrected earlier when I was like, oh, did your friend transition? That's a very inappropriate thing to ask, apparently. It's rude. Well, no, you asked if they had the surgery. No, I asked if they had transitioned. And does transition mean that they have the surgery or does it mean that they are um, changing their gender? That's a great question. Um, I First of all, I feel like I need to say that I am not transgender myself and I'm cisgendered, which means that I identify with the gender I was born and identified with as I when I was born. Um, and so I'm speaking from experience not being transgender myself. And I just feel like that's really important to say. So this doesn't represent every transgender person's experience at all. <laughs> but my sense is that the word transition is fine, but that can be a whole series of things that are about someone becoming the gender that they are. So that can be as simple as starting to wear some clothes that connect with the gender that you are all the way to having medical interventions. And so the like kind of old school linear idea that you go through a series of steps and then you've transitioned that isn't the way that people think about it as much anymore is that you can transition your whole life and it's about becoming how you see yourself and how you want others to see you. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. So it sounds like there's a large spectrum for, it could be different for either person, whether it's wearing lipstick all of a sudden or, you know, dressing differently, like changing your wardrobe to having a surgery. True. And and I think transition usually means that someone is actually starting to identify as the gender other than they were assigned at birth. Because there are people that we, that gender blur around wearing lipstick or wearing male clothes that they're not transgender. And so I think it's about how, how you feel on the inside starting to express itself on the outside. Carrie, I think that brings me to like my first question. And that is like, just for the listeners and for everyone, I was I was having dinner the other night and it was it's perfect that we've got this show coming up today. And the topic of transgender came up because there is a child and there is this big debate about it. And it was a very heated conversation between um, a friend of mine who has a PhD in uh, human sexual development and a sort of older gentleman who is very fixed in his belief around uh, gender and when is appropriate for gender. But what is the difference and how do you define it in a medical term between gender and sexuality? Like, because these are two different things, right? You asked me to define it in medical terms, and that isn't usually how I talk. I talk more like kind of at a human level. Okay, please do the human version then. (laughs) I am not a doctor, so human is much better for me, actually, Carrie. (laughs) Anyone that speaks with medical language, but that's not the way I usually talk. So my definition of that would be uh, gender is the combination of the way that you feel inside regarding your gender expression and the way you're perceived outside. And the difference between that and sexuality is I think of sexuality as who you want to make out with. <laughs> that is yeah. so, well, so if great. you listen to the show, we know that Sugar wants to make out with everybody. I mean, that's a, I would I never had that definition, but now that you say it, like that's my definition of sexuality. <laughs> yeah, that's the best definition of sexuality I've ever heard. I love yeah. that. Okay, so <laughs> glad you don't okay. speak in medical terms, Carrie. Yeah. All the, what everything that means. Whereas I think gender is about 
um, a whole variety of things that can be externally placed on us about what's expected about gender, and then also an internal drive just about how we want to present and who we want other people to see us as. So things like clothes, hair, makeup, um, you know, how you walk, how you talk, how you listen. These are all things that can be socially conscribed around what is gender, but they also sometimes can come from an internal drive for how you want to express gender. Is that too abstract? No, I think it makes sense. It's, it's more about how you perceive yourself internally and how you want to express yourself externally in the various different ways that that shows up and how you personally identify regardless of the rapper you're in. And it's also how you want people to see your rapper. It really, the rapper that you're in. Like it is also about wanting someone else to perceive you as the gender that you are. Got it. Yeah, so there's that acceptance portion of it that, that I hear in that, in that part. The acceptance portion by community in the way that you see yourself. Yeah, I have, can I tell you like a story? About please, yes, yeah, yeah, we love great. stories. Have I have a client that is transitioned is transitioning um, from female identified at birth to male, and knew that they were being seen as male when someone didn't hold the elevator for them for the first time. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> That's, that's so It also kind of means that you have to be a little bit of an asshole to be a guy, apparently. I, that was sad to me, but, <laughs> but we should just hold the elevator for everyone. But that was like, he knew he passed because someone else perceived him as so male that they just let the elevator door slam in his face. <laughs> it was like a breakthrough moment for him. <laughs> it was kind of a sad because he also had been socialized as female and like was a feminist before that and just thought, what does that mean that now I have to be kind of an ass? Like, so some of the, that's about how you're perceived on the outside. I mean, I feel like that has a lot more to do with society and uh, how chivalry apparently only lives with the male gender. Mm. I said to my roommate the other day, I was like, opened a door for him. He had suitcases coming home from work. And I was like, let me get that for you. He's oh, wow. Thank you. I, and I was like, chivalry is not dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start holding the door open for men and just see how they react. Yeah. Huh. I like the door Or just for everybody. For <laughs> just for everybody. I feel like I hold doors for people when they need it. Yeah. I mostly do it for like elderly or women with strollers, to be totally honest. So, so Lindsay is the one that would close the door in the face oh, of the yeah. guy who's running I, for the thing. I, was probably, I probably cute. was in which that case, person. She would I was like, open. fuck you, bro. The elbow's <laughs> closing in your face. <laughs> like, I, Unless I, she thought he was hot and then she'd totally let him in. I was like, look, I've got <laughs> right. people to do and places to see. The elevator's closing. <laughs> Whereas I like just had a procedure done on my toe last week and this guy was in his wheelchair trying to get through the door and I was like, let me push you through the door with my like throbbing foot. Aww. Lindsay would just slam it so in his sweet. face. Pretty much. I'm an asshole. <laughs> so anyways, I have a question. Um, <laughs> so... This is something I always wonder about, and I, I have no expertise in the area. So growing up as a kid, I never heard about transgender. You know, I, grew, I was born in the 80s and grew up in the 90s, and it just, I, it was never a thing. And I feel like it's so much more a thing now. And, and so what that makes me wonder is, like, is, is society just catching up with, like, 
I guess this is the three-part question. Um, I wonder, is in your expertise, is this something that people are born with? Is this environmental? Like, what is the, is it called a diagnosis? Like, what is the politically correct way to really talk about the beginning stages of this? That is a really good question. I have my own theories about this. And then I also um, have some political views about this. But so I think that there have always been transgender people through the history of time. And I think we can look at many cultures across the world that have always had a third gender or multiple genders or a spectrum of gender fluidity, um, like two-spirit um, American Indian um, indigenous folks here in the United States. And so I think I think it's always been there. I, I think that it is more commonly talked about now because there is now actual medical interventions you can do in order to appear as the gender you are. And so in the last 30 years there or so, there's been surgeries and hormones and hormone blockers and medical access that wasn't available before. But there have always been, you know, people that dressed as females or as males so they could go off to war. And there have always been, um, like, there's always been people that have identified as other than the gender they were assigned at birth. They just haven't had as much access medically. And then I also think that just there's been some really famous people that have transitioned in a very public way. And I think that that's helped a lot too, because it's had a platform. So um, Chaz and Caitlyn Jenner and I am Jazz. Uh, there's like a, a, a conversation happening that I think wouldn't have been possible without social media um, or at least reality TV or some ways to access people's lives that wasn't always there. So those are my theories. These are not backed up with studies. Um, and so, and I also think that um, gender has been less and less conscripted in a really rigid way between what has to be female and what has to be male. And as a result, people have had more fluidity and ability to explore who they are. Whereas the gender roles that my mom had around what female meant for her are very different than what my gender role expectations are. Um, so those are my theories. I would love to hear other people's theories about why it's more in the public conversation than it was in the past too. Anyone have any theories? <laughs> well, I just, I'm going to speak as the millennial in the room. So I'm 25. And she loves to point out how much younger than she is. Every it's episode, like she every, says all how the young time. she is. Clearly they're just insecure that they're getting older. <laughs> you know, they've hit 30. They've, they're passing. Just kidding. Um, the funny thing is, is Way that this is so fucking relevant right now, my age, as it always is, <laughs> which is why I bring it up every episode. This is why we keep you around. Okay. Okay. So, sugar, sugar. <laughs> no. So you're all going to feel like assholes when I actually say what I have to say. <laughs> all right. I'm going to forget. Watch. No. So I'm 25 and I feel like almost like I'm becoming one of the older millennials now because I'm seeing all these kids in that are 18 and 19, 20, 21 now. And they're, I also live in Los Angeles as a reminder. So maybe I see one part of the cuff here, but it's almost like they're more woke about it now than my, 
my group, like the the people that are a couple, uh, like 25 to 29. Like I feel like these 18 to 20, I'm 18 to 23 year olds, it's weird to say 24 because I'm 25. But like these, these younger, these, these people who are fresh out of like seniors in high school, freshmen, sophomore in college, like they created this or something. That's at least my perception of it. It's like, there's an ownership and almost like, yeah, you guys are also millennials, but we'll let us show you. And it's, it's more, it seems like it's more normalized because of social media. It makes sense there. I mean, I was, I was in elementary school when Facebook came out. The first social media platform that I was like cyber bullied on was MySpace and it had been around for years. You know what I mean? So <laughs> these people that are younger than me, like they they had Instagram when they were in elementary yeah. school. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, Sugar, because I have um, a 14-year-old daughter, right? There is definitely way more access to everything, right? Like, and yes. gender fluidity in the social media space, like whether it's um, whether it's transitioning or just guys in makeup or like there is a, I would say a really big push to not be defined, right? Mm. Which allows for um, a larger level of acceptance, I would say in in generations coming up. And I think that's visibility, right? You know, like when you talk about the argument that we had at dinner the other night where there are two just very opposing opinions. And I think this segues really nicely into working with young people um, because the argument was, that um, that transitioning and gender fluidity is fine, but it's an adult decision. Like it's not a decision that a child is capable or should be forced into or um, or should be told to make, right? So there's that belief that there's like an age limit or restriction on when you are allowed to identify your gender or when that's a a firm decision rather than just a conversation that is like, well, people like doing all sorts of things, you know, and how do you actually know? So I'm curious about that, given your specialty in working with children under 11, um, about your thoughts and feelings on that. But I also think that that exposure that our young people have now to a vast array of things um, does allow like more acceptance and more conversation and um, an openness around it that I think hasn't been present or wasn't present when I was young. And I'm 39 and I feel 25. And I love <laughs> the fact that you're 25, sugar. I, I feel like this is a topic that is incredibly, it is incredibly fraught with emotions for a lot of people. And it's because it's about gender, which is still very rigidly defined in our society. There is a boys section in Target and a girls section in Target. And the boys section is blue, gray, and brown, maybe. Like brown is the exciting color. And then in the girls section, there's like sequins and rainbows and colors. And and that's, I don't know if, do you guys have Target out there? (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) That's a nice I I, I like to call it (laughs) Target. So there's still really rigid gender roles that we all are assigned. We all are, through osmosis, taking in at every moment. Our language is very gendered. And our pronouns and our um, understanding of what is male and female is still pretty rigid. And so people get really attached to that because it's a safe thing that they understand. And our human brain works well with binary. And so like um, accepting ambiguity and complexity is really hard for us to do. And so I think that part of that is accepting that kids can have abstract thought and can make their own decisions about gender 
when they still don't have a fully developed frontal lobe. And I think that's why we don't let kids drive before they're 16. And there's reasons why people get tied up in this. And then there's also some politics, obviously, around whether being transgender is okay or not. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that this is like one of those topics like abortion that people can get really like hackles up very quickly about. Um, so my perspective is like a personal story and my kids may not be happy. I'm telling you this, but, um, I, my oldest didn't, um, he, all he wanted for his fourth birthday was a pink dress. And he specifically said like satin on the top, a rosette, uh, waistband and, and crinoline in the skirt. And he, we, he watched Project Runway with me kind of incessantly. And, um, and he was raised in my household. My brother was our nanny. So my transgender brother and in my household where, you know, obviously we lived in a bubble around gender. Min- Minneapolis actually per capita has the highest percentage of transgender folks. I think outside of Amsterdam. Yeah. Maybe even, maybe even more than San Francisco, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Or that's surprising. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's because, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to actually like throw out a, a, a shout out to the program in human sexuality at the University of Minnesota. They were one of the first places that transgender women could get surgery. And so it is like, and that was a long time ago. So that's why the community has grown so much here, I think. Got it. Yeah. Well, you go where you're supported, right? Like, and if you're researching or, you know, looking for places where acceptance or facilities or access is available. That makes sense. So, but my son wasn't, isn't transgender, wasn't transgender, just wanted to wear dresses. And then my daughter who was raised in the same household, um, would not put on pants for like six years. She would only wear dresses every day in and out. She is the most cisgendered person. Cis meaning that you're, you know, what you're assigned at birth matches how you see yourself. She is still just like, Never has done, she's, she will not do karate. She'll only do gymnastics. She will not, I mean, just like down a weird checklist and she's raised in the same household. So I just feel like anecdotally, you cannot make someone be transgender. And that's what people are afraid is happening is that adults are making decisions for kids. And so the kids I see that are transgender are consistently saying it across settings. The intensity is consistent. The, the um, duration of it lasts a long time. Like they're saying to school, to friends, to me, to their parents, no, nope, I'm a boy or I'm a girl. And those are the kids under 11 that, are, that I see are ones where their family has been hearing this for quite a while before they come to see me. Hey there, Clitorati, it's Katie. So you all know I'm a nurse and Clit Talk for me is a health conversation. I really wanna take a minute to share a product with you that has made a huge difference in my life. Foria Wellness Awaken CBD Lubricant. Remember that. I use it multiple times per week, and this is coming from the woman who never used to masturbate. Not only has it enhanced my new masturbation lifestyle, it's eased the pain I used to have during sex, and my husband is super happy because our bedroom play is so much more fun. So, I personally reached out to Foria Wellness to see if they would partner with Clit Talk, and they were an overwhelming yes. 
So now you can get a discount on their fabulous products by going to our brand new pleasure store at clittalkshow.com. All their products are there. And if you're interested in trying them out for yourself, use the discount code clittalk10 for 10% off your purchase. I can't recommend them enough. So do yourself a favor and get your pussy high. Do you, do you think that like in the past, that conversation has just been suppressed? And now it's or they've it's categorized it as gay and not huh. didn't have tr- didn't have the word transgender. I well, so I've been doing this for like 10, 15 years and people didn't have that word 10, 15 years ago. Parents had no idea. They didn't. Yeah. I mean, they maybe knew the word transgender and they maybe had just an image of a transgender adult woman in their mind with that, but they didn't have anything beyond that. And so well, I had parents drive like two, three hours weekly from small towns in Minnesota to have me see their kids because their kids were so consistently saying this. And so what's like the youngest age that you start to see patients at that? Like what's the youngest? Kids can't really do like talk therapy until after five or six. And, and, and so I don't see the kids really under 11. I don't see them without their family being involved. So when you say the youngest I see, I have seen a pair of twins that were three when they came. They're identical twins. And one of them was a little gender nonconforming. He would put a dress on sometimes. He liked bows in his hair. And the other one consistently said that she was a girl from the like two on. And so they came to me to be like, okay, do we support her or do we just let them both keep exploring this? Because they're both like wearing dresses sometimes. And she like fully transitioned by five before she started kindergarten. I'm sorry, does that, I'm, I'm going to ask the inappropriate question. Does that mean like surgery? What is fully, what is fully transitioned mean? There's nothing medical that anyone needs okay. to even think about until you have something called Tanner stage one in development. So it's really early puberty is the time when somebody could start taking hormone blockers. So this is where my con- concern comes in. And I'm curious, like in your experience, once you start suppressing hormones in children, if they change their mind later down the line, they can't, like there's already been stuff that's happened to their body that they can't reverse if you do that. So have you seen, so you're saying like, I, I, by the way, I read this book that I've been wanting to mention called um, This Is How It Always Is by Lori Frankel. Have you read? It's such a great book. It's about a family of four boys and the last son that they had insisted that he was a girl. And it's about their story about how they um, managed that com- conversation with them. It's a beautiful book. Um, so, but when we, my husband and I talk about this because it's, there's no going back really once you start hormones and start suppressing things. Like there's, it affects their growth. Can like, I clarify one thing? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, there's a difference between hormone blockers and yeah. hormones. And so hormone blockers is simply stopping the development of the secondary sex characteristic hormones. So testosterone or estrogen. And it's just slowing down long enough that kids do have more of a frontal lobe developed in order to make these decisions. So they could stop hormones at any time and start puberty. So, 
So, so you can start, you can take hormone blockers and there might be some development that doesn't happen. There's some possibility of bone growth issues or, or height and things like that. Or they might be like behind their peers if they decide not to transition, but they have the ability to go through puberty. Got it. So, and I think, I think you wouldn't make that because I have young children, right? But you're saying that one, the conversation has been around for years anyway. Like they're like, you're not in a new conversation. It's not like one day they wake up and they're like, oh, by the way, you know, (laughs) this, right? It's, it's a consistent long-term conversation inside the family unit. They've made whatever choices they have about their external appearance and as a family, then they make a decision to give them sort of some more time um, to make a sort of educated or, or a more adult decision or to settle into it a little bit more through those kind of formative puberty years, right? The, and what it does is it actually delays things happening that can't be reversed. So if someone um, identifies, say this little girl that was a twin with her brother, it, when she's 11, if if she didn't get on blockers, she would start having, her chest would broaden, her jaw would start getting wider, her voice would get deeper. She would have all these male things happen, whether she took the blockers, if she didn't take the blockers. And so those things actually would need medical intervention later if she is truly a girl. And so it's actually a cost-benefit analysis about what kids need for their future healthcare as well. It's also like, like, I think it's important to note, and it may be in that book you just mentioned that the, the suicide attempt rate in transgender kids and adolescent young adults is like significantly higher. I think the last study, it was 42% of attempted suicides compared to, I think it's around 5% in the general adolescent population. And so it, it could be a matter of life and death if you don't support your child's gender identity. If it's truly someone that's transitioning, and I know there are kids that experiment sometimes through adolescence with using a different pronoun or a different name for a bit, but that's very, very different than someone that's consistently across settings and over time had yeah. a gender identity that's different than how they were assigned at birth. I can't imagine the trappedness, right, that you would experience. And maybe that, like, if we loop back around to that beginning conversation about, like, why we're seeing more now with more resources, with more support, potentially, you know, like, that suicide rate was potentially higher, right? Like, at at certain points when there wasn't any pathway to acceptance or community or, like, you know, I... (laughs) When you're a teenager, like it's hard enough to manage being accepted when you match your gender, right? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I oh still gosh. worry about acceptance and I'm still nervous sometimes. You know what I mean? I, I can't even imagine if, you know, my rapper or my outward appearance didn't match how I experienced myself fully. Like, yeah, that, just, that, that actually is something I really wanted to ask you, Carrie, is, you know, you know, us being on the forefront of these conversations or, or just anybody listening, right? Like what is the best way to support someone that's coming to you? Cause I recently had somebody in my life come out to me as transgender and I was shocked, not, not shocked, but just like, Whoa, that's, that's brand new information. And, um, you know, and I just want to make sure like how, how is the best way to support these people? Cause 
I think it is much more of a conversation. Like we're saying, like there are more people coming out. I don't know. Is that the proper term coming out as transgender? Um, And, you know, how can we as a community of supportive people, like what is the best way to embrace this? How do we get people support? What do we do if someone is on the verge of like, God forbid, suicide? Like how do we, how do we get that number down? Well, I think the studies they've done for kids and those numbers were for kids um, or adolescents. Uh, the studies they've done show that the number one determining factor for a kid not feeling suicidal or having such hopeless feelings is a loving, supportive family. And so that's like 100% the best medical intervention is for parents to be supported to support their kid. And that is the most important thing. But as we know, that doesn't always happen. And so other ways would be if someone comes out to you is making sure that you know, that they know you're safe that you can uh, support them the best that you can. And I think it's okay to say, I don't understand. Can you clarify things for me? I want to support you and be there for you. But I, you know, when my brother transitioned, I uh, didn't always know the right things to say or how to be there for him. And you might want to ask him if I did a good job. I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> and I actually asked him permission to, you know, kind of out him on this show tonight um, because he's got the same last name I do. But, um, and he said, yes. And he's like, go for it. And then he sent me a bunch of emojis. So I, (laughs) but um, I, I think it's, it calls into mind our own identity and our own gender expression. And, And that just like being aware of how you feel in your body and how that feels uncomfortable sometimes for really anyone. I mean, I haven't met someone that's always like absolutely uncom- like comfortable in their body at every moment. Maybe they, they exist, but I've never met them. Definitely not people socialize female, but I don't think really anybody um, is always comfortable. And so just knowing how that feels and being able to relate to that and then what would help you feel better. So just a hug, a gentle touch on the shoulder, a, hey, can I go out to coffee with you? And then treating somebody the exact same way you did before is probably the most important thing with adults that are transitioning is just don't treat them like they're precious, fragile flowers that you can't joke with or, yeah, you know, um, with kids, I think supporting families, that's the most important thing for kids. Is, and that's a lot what I do. And there's a wonderful organization here in Minnesota called Transforming Families. And it's all family run. And it's parents of kids that are transgender. And they the parents meet for an hour once a month. And then the kids meet separately for an hour. And they march in pride parade every year. And then parents can say, what happened when you tried hormone blockers? Which endocrinologist is the person you trust? Um what, how do I know if my, this is just a stage and they, they help each other with that, those questions. And I think, and there's no professionals involved in that group. Um, and I like that it's completely family run as well. So starting things like that is a helpful thing too. And just to let someone know you're an ally, have trans flags up, have queer, gender queer flags up, have gender non-binary flag, like have a button, have your pronouns. That's really, really important to be aware of your own pronouns and Um, I, on my email, I have, you know, she, her, hers pronouns in my kind of, what is it your tagline? The thing at the bottom of your email, um, I think, and make sure that you always support someone getting to go to the bathroom, uh, in the gender that, that they 
feel the most comfortable with. And if not, find um, gender neutral bathrooms that someone can go to the bathroom in. Yeah. I did have one experience at the airport this past weekend where there was a man in the woman's bathroom. He wasn't dressed to look like a woman. He was in a sports cap, a a t-shirt and baggy jeans, like just in the woman's- He was just lost? No, like- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and all the women are looking around like it's one thing if they're transgender and they're in the woman's bathroom, but just a man who walked into the woman's bathroom in the airport, everyone was like, like, look, just looking at each other, like not knowing what to do. And then someone who worked there is like, we can't say anything. Oh. Um, so is that, is that like, was that someone who is maybe thinking about transitioning but not making any exterior effort yet? Or is it just someone lost being a... (laughs) That's a really good question. My guess is that unless it was someone that was just lost, is that might be a transgender male that isn't fully passing, but... um, like not even trying. Well, oh, she's saying it might oh, have been no, someone born other. as a woman. woman. Oh, um, and, yeah. and they because both like we can all agree that of the two bathrooms, and I'm and I'm generalizing around gender, but the safer bathroom for both transgender women and men is the female bathroom, because male bathrooms just don't feel really safe to any of my transgender <laughs> clients, and so. Uh-huh. I know some men that don't feel safe in male bathrooms too. So, <laughs> my father's human experience—they're kind of scary places. So, yeah. it could have been a, a a woman who transitioned to a man who is using the woman's bathroom, and maybe maybe they don't have a penis. And think about it: in the male bathroom, Anymore. there's o- there's really oh. only—I mean, I haven't spent a tremendous amount of time in the male bathroom, but <laughs> but I, I would assume there's mostly urinals. So, if you don't have a penis, people are going to notice that, right? Oh. And the stall is probably gross. Yeah, the stall's yeah. probably I'm just disgusting. Saying, if, you were, if you were raised as a woman <laughs> and you're yeah. going, I'm like, okay. I'm like, there would be some stuff that would be hard to swallow. All right, good. I'm glad that happened so I could mention that. I'm glad we got that all cleared up for you there. That's really helpful. Well, I, I think earlier I said it because of the name of your of your show. I, I just oh, want, yes. I want to say that, like, um, you know, trans men do have a clit. <laughs> And it's so having it being kind of defined about most trans men, there are men that have had bottom surgery, meaning that they have had kind of a surgical procedure done in order to have a penis. But most trans men just have an enlarged clitoris. So when you take testosterone, it makes your clitoris get bigger. And so, um, so they do have a clit. So like just being aware that the idea of, genitalia defining gender is something we still need to talk about what that means in terms of fluidity. Um, and then also like transgender women, um, may have a penis and very much are women. And, and that's also really important to note. And I don't know why that fits in right now with what we're talking about because well, because we're called clit talk. Yeah, no, that, that, that's perfect anytime. Well, and I, think, I think the the broadness of the conversation that we're stepping into, right? Like if there's one thing that I'm walking away from this conversation is it's like when you have a baby, it is fully, you are literally given a conversation from birth called baby girl. And you could, you could be 
and any color of the spectrum, anything like, but we literally, from the moment that you hit Earthside, <laughs> you have a collective story that is attached to you based on the wrapper that you're in. And what I'm hearing in this conversation is that that is such a broad conversation over the 7 billion of us that occupy this planet and that there is no uh, pigeonholing for humanity and human self-expression or gender expression. And I'd say it actually happens before you come out into the world because there's so many gender reveal parties now that people long before they're out of the uterus are already assigned a gender and gender roles and have clothes that their grandparents have bought them. And the whole community at a gender reveal party already is placing those expectations on that baby. So it's even earlier. Yeah. We, anyway, we almost, about, yeah. no, we almost, I was actually going to ask you about that. We almost called our gender reveal party a sex reveal party. Because <laughs> that's the sex. Of, that's, like, that's the, is that the PC way to do it? I, I it have is. no idea. We were, someone was saying, said to my husband, doesn't your wife have a show called Clit Talk? How can you have a gender reveal party? And we're like, Oh. Like things you don't even think about. <laughs> yeah, until right. Somebody yeah. asks, but I think that's the whole basis of the conversation, right? I'm I'm hearing like be curious, be open, um, be compassionate, um, and be a safe space for all people because everyone deserves dignity. Exactly, and everybody deserves sexual pleasure. I also feel like as adults, that's something that should be available to everyone if they want it. We here at Clit Talk firmly stand behind that statement. <laughs> We're sprinkling that everywhere. <laughs> oh, well, gosh, Carrie, I'm, my, my brain is just reeling with so much new information and um, really just so grateful to have you be here with us today and to just talk so candidly. And I feel like I, I've learned a lot. I don't know about you guys. Just talking about yeah. it, honestly. Yeah. I was stuttering it. over my words in the beginning and I feel a lot more comfortable just talking. Yeah. And I think that's really important too. It's like, I think people are like, it's, it's you know, we talk about a lot of taboo things on this show and a lot of the tabooness of this conversation has been taken out from me. It's just people being people. People being um, people, and, and it's okay to ask questions. I really think it's, yeah. it's okay to, that's why I see my role as an ally is it's not my identity in question. And so, I, you know, it's okay for me to have people ask dumb questions because I was there, <laughs> I was there. with my brother yeah. many years ago now, but everybody is grappling with what gender means as this, they go through this. So, yeah. Um, and I know, I know, Carrie, um, you said you're licensed. So we have a, a, a wide fan base in the Los Angeles area. You said you're licensed in both California and Minnesota. If people would like to get in touch with you, if they know anyone in your life, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? I Website has my contact information. So I think my website would be the best place for me to send people to. And that's CarrieEdnaMcDonald.com. So that's K-E-R-R-Y. E, D is in dog, N is in Nancy, A, and then McDonald, like the restaurant, dot com. Okay. I'm not related to Ronald, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carrie McDonald, thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, Thanks, re- really appreciate it. And for anyone out there who's listening that knows someone um, that would maybe like to refer to Carrie or to start the conversation, I hope that this episode made a difference for you in being able to have this conversation with more ease and more candidly. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for being with us today, Carrie. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. All right, Clitorati, we will. 
See you next Tuesday. <laughs> Did you just love this episode of Clit Talk? Well, shit, then you better head on over to iTunes and subscribe, but only if you want amazing orgasms. Also, while you're over there, please rate us and leave a review. But again, only if we're open to incredible sex and amazing relationships and world peace and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, it's very much appreciated and thank you. <laughs>